turn my microphone on. I'm feeling a little positivity resonance. Really, really, I am. <clears throat> I want to go back to the earlier piece that the choir sang that has really just landed in me. It was one of the refrains that was in me as I was thinking about this sermon and writing this sermon. This, love, you have searched me. You know me through and through. So I want to begin this morning by telling you a story about the racial justice leadership team and this love, this love that knows us through and through. So I should tell you I'm a part of the racial justice leadership team, and we meet every month. There are uh, there are three-hour-long meetings, so they're long meetings, um, and we've designed the meeting where the first half of it of the meeting. The first 90 minutes is a time for spiritual deepening among the team members. We recognize that to be strategic in our racial justice leadership work and to do that work in deep and powerful ways in this congregation, we have to be connected to one another. We have to know deeply one another and, and who we are. And so we use this ancient spiritual practice as our spiritual deepening, we use this practice called Lectio Divina. It means holy reading or divine reading. And so we take a poem. It's always been a poem so far, but it could be sacred text. And we start by reading that poem. We have some silence, and we read the poem, and we listen. What is the word or the phrase in that poem that is speaking to us right now? And then we name that. We hear each other, we name that, we listen. And for me, it was this line, this love, you have searched me, you know me through and through. That stuck with me for this sermon this day. But in the leadership circle, we listen to the poem, we hear a word or a phrase, and then we sit in silence. And then another person from the group reads the same poem again, but in their voice. So the cadence is different. The pauses are different. The words are heard differently. And we listen this time for where is this poem speaking to my life right now? And then we share with one another how that is speaking to our life right now. And then another person, a third person, reads the poem in their voice, with their cadence, with their pronunciation and way of moving through the words. And we listen one more time for where is this poem, where is the spirit of life calling us in our lives as we move forward? What are our intentions moving into our work in front of us? And we sit in silence after that third reading, and we, after we've shared, and then we end the meeting by turning to one another and praying for one another. Sometimes we hold hands, sometimes we don't. But we turn to one another, we fight through a little bit of the resistance that we feel. It's vulnerable, praying for one another. But we turn to one another and we pray for one another and friends, I have to tell you, the loving words, the blessings that come out of people's mouths are remarkable. And maybe it's because we remind ourselves before we pray, we say, you don't have to believe in God to pray. Buddhists pray and they don't believe in God. It could just be your blessings that you wish for this person. It could just be your naming of your cherishing for this person in front of you. It could just be your hopes based on what you've heard for this person. But the loving prayers that spill out are deep evidence of a kind of listening that we rarely experience in our lives. 
And maybe you've had this experience. I don't know. Maybe you've shared something from deep within you, and you've had someone hear that and then pray for you. Or maybe you have heard something very deep from someone and then created a space to pray for that person. And maybe we'll even pray for one another today. Now, I can't speak for the rest of the racial justice leadership team, but I can tell you when I'm in that space, when I listen deeply in that space, and we pray for one another at the end of that time, I feel physically different than I felt before. The listening, the silence, the sharing, and the praying changes me. I feel seen and known. I feel love. Love, you have searched me. You know me through and through. At our racial justice leadership team meeting, we were creating positive resonance, shared positive emotions, attuning to one another's lives. We were generating love. We were being known by love. I suspect many of you have had this experience. You've had this experience in the circles here at church. You've had this experience in the wellspring groups here at the church. Maybe you're part of a 12-step group or a group outside the church or choir, a subgroup of the choir, some place. I'm guessing you've had something like this where two or more gather and listen deeply and something remarkable happens. So this book I read, Love 2.0, helped me understand what is happening. And it challenged what I thought I knew about love. It lifted up new scientific understandings of love and positive emotions, the roles that those play. It lifted up new understandings of the body. And this book wasn't just about the science. It also had a practical aim to our lives and to our spiritual lives. This book helped me understand more deeply what is happening in our circles at church. And it gave me new insights in, into what it means to be called, to be called love's people, to, to feel that call on our lives, to be love's people, and how we can deepen that practice of love. So I want to take you for a minute here deeply into Barbara Fredrickson's world. She's the author of this book, and I want to share some of what she revealed in this book and then reflect on a couple of stories with you. So hang with me. Barbara Fredrickson, she's this distinguished, distinguished professor from the University of North Carolina at Chapel, excuse me, Chapel Hill. She says this. This is what stuck with me. Science reveals that more than anything else, what we long for is love. This is science. Whether you're single or not, she says, whether you spend your days largely in isolation or steadily surrounded by the buzz of conversation, love is the essential nutrient that your cells crave. True positivity, positivity charged connection with other living beings. She goes on to say, the more you experience it, this positivity resonance, the more you open and grow, you become wiser and more attuned, you become more resilient and effective, happier, and healthier. You grow spiritually as well, better able to see and to feel and to appreciate the deep inner connections that we share with one another that embed us in this grand fabric of life. 
Fredrickson talks about romantic love a little bit in this book, and she kind of knocks it off the pedestal that many of us kind of put it on to say, oh, that's what love is. It's like with one other person or a few other people, and it's kind of contained to that realm. And she says, boom, that's not the case. Well, you may subscribe, she says, to a whole host of definitions of love. Your body, okay, our heads might say, oh, there's all these different things that love means. Here's what it means. She says, your body subscribes to just one definition of love. It's this. Love is that micro moment of warmth and connection that you share with another human being. Love is that micro moment of warmth and connection that you share with another human being. Think about being at a football game, right? And the Vikings score, if you're a Viking fan, or maybe you're a gopher fan, or whatever, whatever team you like, they score, and you're at the game in the stands, and there's a moment where you're like, yo, right! And you turn to the guy next to you, you don't know who this guy is or this gal, and you're like, boom, high five. You're like, yeah, boom, that's it. That's the hit. That's the love hit, this micro moment of shared warmth and connection. Like there's oxytocin that gets released in that moment. There's like all sorts of other stuff that starts to happen. So for your body, the definition of love is those micro moments of warmth and connection with another human being. It could be you're going through the line at Menards. I had this happen just the other day. And there was this customer in front of me. I hope I'm never that person, though. I know I might be sometimes. Who was really giving the cashier a hard time about this return. Like on and on and on in her face, etc. And when I came up and finally had my turn to pay for my stuff, I said, man, like, some people, right? Like, that was tough. And she's like, you just see, like, oh, thank you. Like, I really appreciate this moment. I don't know who she is. I don't even know her name. It was a five-second interaction. But it was a micro moment of love, warmth, and connection. And Fredrickson says, this is in our DNA from the beginning. This is rat pups piling up on each other and baby puppy dogs piling up on each other and mama cats like licking their baby cats and zebras like preening each other, cleaning each other, whatever it is zebras do. <laughs> I don't know what it is that zebras do. Like she mentions this in the book and it seemed really relevant. So <laughs> grooming each other, zebras grooming each other in those calm moments on the safari. Um, <laughs> That, it's, that is in our DNA. That is in our DNA, she says. And we know this. We know this with human beings and babies. If young children, young babies are not touched and held, those micro moments of warmth and connection, that positive resonance, they will not thrive. They do not thrive. Love is like oxygen. It's like nutrients. Our bodies are designed for and need love. According to Fredrickson, love is our supreme emotion that makes us come most fully alive and most fully human. Love draws us out of our cocoon of self-absorption, she says. It helps us attune to others. It allows us, when we have that positivity hit, that moment of warmth and connection, suddenly we realize, well, we're in a stadium with 30,000 other people. We just had a moment together. This is amazing. These are people like me. This is incredible. You start to see more holistically. You start to have broader concern and care and compassion. Fredrickson says, love blossoms virtually anytime two or more people, even strangers, connect over a positive shared emotion, be it a mild or strong one. Love moves 
from, moves us from me, that inward self-focus, to we, an awareness of what is around us. There's another famous passage about something blossoming whenever two or more people are gathered and connecting with one another. Maybe you know this passage. In the book of Matthew, Jesus says to his disciples, wherever two or more, two or three are gathered in my name, I am there with you. We don't lean on that passage a lot in our Unitarian Universalist tradition, but I want you to look at that with fresh eyes, to see that scripture with fresh eyes, with this new understanding of love I've shared with you. Imagine Jesus as this deep, accepting love, this engine of micro moments of warmth and connection as he reaches out and connects with people who have been ignored or marginalized or dismissed by the current culture of their time. Jesus as this accepting, incredible love. And then the scripture takes on new light. When two or three gather in the name of love, committed to being fully human and alive, attuning and attending to those around them, then love blossoms. Maybe, just maybe Jesus was a master of loving kindness. And when two or three gather together and remember the power of loving kindness, love can blossom anew. The spirit of love is alive. Let me come at this another way. Think of the Dalai Lama and how he, through meditation and loving kindness practice, is this gentle pillar of love. And laughter, honestly. When he speaks or when he writes, when you read one of his books, especially when you hear him speak, if, you haven't, if you've had an audience with him, you know he's turned his body into this nutrient giver of love. That you are held in this circle of compassion and care. Listen to this story from Barbara Fredrickson, where she talks about this meeting of the Dalai Lama. She had uh, helped start this center for uh, investigating um, healthy minds. And so it's this opening ceremony, and the Dalai Lama was there, and she was there to be recognized, and she was briefed on how this encounter with the Dalai Lama would go in this Tibetan custom, how it would work. And she says, here's how it would go down. His holiness would greet us, each individually in turn. We were each to bow when he stood before us, and then he would drape this white ceremonial silk scarf around each of our necks. I knew all of this, says Barbara. I knew how to do it, to bow, and then he'd put the scarf on. But when the Dalai Lama stood before me, I froze. I simply stared into his eyes and absorbed the warmth and benevolence of his demeanor. I did this for too long, (laughs) she says. I'm sure it was only a few seconds long, but too long nonetheless. What happened next was an exquisitely subtle and loving nonverbal gesture. A slight movement, she says, of his holiness's face that gently moved me along, as if to say, you're doing the ritual wrong. (laughs) But I love you anyway. You're doing the ritual wrong, but I love you anyway. 
Barbara says, it was an experience completely new to me. I was simultaneously corrected and loved, and in a public setting, no less. What was especially new, says Barbara, was the silence, the silence of my inner critic. That part of me that would typically scold myself for such a public gaffe. Instead, I thought to myself, I bet this happens all the time. Some people become awestruck in the presence of the Dalai Lama. This just happened to me. <laughs> He's experienced this before, and he helped me move along without judgment. Without judgment. What a moment. Two or more gathered in that spirit of love, and something beautiful blossoms. A moment of being accepted, a moment of being loved. This is what our cells and our souls need. I'm so moved by Frederick's call to worship this morning. The openness and the vulnerability, the powerful story of his nutritionist saying to him, take care of your body and accept where it takes you. And I imagine that those words were said in a fiercely loving, non-judgmental way. And they allowed you to practice loving kindness ultimately with yourself because you knew your nutritionist loved you and had an interest in your well-being. I think Frederick's testimony this morning, his testimony, the sharing of that story, helps us love ourselves and our own bodies even more deeply, to know that is possible. And I come back to these words from the song we heard. Love, you have searched me. You know me through and through. These moments, these experiences of deep connection with others, with ourselves, with the cosmos, that, according to Barbara Fredrickson, is the signature of love, those moments of connection. That is the signature of love, and it's in our DNA. Love, that feeling of connection, is the deepest source of our religious impulse, in those moments, according to Fredrickson, borders seem to evaporate and we feel part of something much larger than ourselves. Nature, divinity, eternity, humanity. It doesn't have to be that big as divinity or eternity. It could simply be one or two other people you're with where you listen and are seen and give your attention and you are transformed by that experience. Spirituality revolves around those moments of connection, those moments where love helps us escape ourselves. So what does this all mean? What does this mean for us? It means that our cells and our souls need love, and, there are, and that there are ways we can generate nourishing love in our lives, in this church, in our community. And I'm not talking about romantic love here. There are ways we can generate love. When we tune in to one another, to the cashier bagging our groceries, to the neighbor walking down the sidewalk, to the person next to us in line at the coffee shop, to the person downstairs in coffee hour, 
that looks like maybe they're new or they don't know anyone here, when we tune in to one another and the world around us, we begin to open these doors to connection, often divine connection. And I want to suggest to you that this is what it means to be Unitarian Universalists. This is what it means to be love's people, to be, imagine a love so strong it is beyond any belief. This is what it means to tune our bodies to love so that we can give to one another and receive from one another those nutrients we need to survive and thrive. We have to share in circles, in our wellspring groups. We have to share our suffering, our dreams, our yearnings, so that those micro moments of warmth and connection, so that love and hope can blossom. So the practice for us as Unitarian Universalists, as people called to be love's people, is to lean even more deeply into connecting with one another, lean into deeper listening and attentiveness, deeper vulnerability, deeper willingness to pray for one another. This is where I was writing this sermon, and I said this at the first service too. I said, this is where I'm going to invite the congregation to pray for one another. Like we do in our racial justice leadership team meeting. I was going to invite you to see who's next to you and to turn to them and to say a blessing, a word of hope, to hold them with your gaze, with your attention, and we are going to do that. Well, some heads popped up. <laughs> Not yet. But this is what it means to be people of faith, to be Unitarian Universalists, to be vulnerable, to pray for one another, to tune to one another, to create those micro moments of warmth and connection that feed us. Our practice is to lean into those hard places. Prayer is hard. It doesn't come naturally, perhaps, for many of us, but to lean into those hard places and keep our hearts open. Our practice, friends, is to trust what's in our DNA, this drive for connection, to trust what's in our bodies and to trust our bodies so that we can let love wash over and through us and arrive at that place of health and vibrancy and life. Love, you have searched me. You know me through and through. I'm going to pray for you. Spirit of life, may these people gathered here today be known. Be known by one another. Be known by you. May those who are gathered here with broken hearts, remembering those they love who are no longer here, may they feel the love of this community, those moments that remind them they are not 
alone in their grief. May those who struggle with addiction, those who struggle in their marriage or relationship, may they know friends and family and colleagues who can be a listening ear, who can carry that struggle with them, who can help them find a way toward wholeness. May this body of people in this sanctuary know this deep truth. There is nothing that they can do to lose the love that is ever-present, only awaiting our awakening to it. So bless and hold these people, spirit of life. Bless and hold all of us. Amen.